0: There are the where were you moments and questions that we will ask each other and that we will talk about for the rest of our lives and the generation that has come since that will remember it because we talk about where we were and what we
1: did. It is the week of September 6th, and welcome to episode 96 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that explores the disagreements between the political left and right on issues in national security and foreign policy. Today, we have Lauren Dealey-Mahler, NSI Visiting Fellow and President of Dealey-Mahler Strategies LLC, Jamil Jaffer, NSI Founder and Executive Director and former Chief Counsel and Senior Advisor to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Rob Walker, NSI Visiting Fellow and Executive Director of the Homeland Security Experts Group. Lester Munson, a senior fellow at NSI and the former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And I'm Haley Lernahan, policy program coordinator at the National Security Institute.
2: So the United States is officially out of Afghanistan. The Taliban appears to be consolidating control of the country. Global terror groups, including al-Qaeda, ISIS, and the Haqqani Network, are jockeying for position inside the country. Some Americans and Afghan allies of the United States are left in the country. The 20th anniversary of 9-11 is on Saturday. Let's assess the impact of this episode on American foreign policy. Lauren, the Biden administration is making no apologies for its withdrawal decision and the subsequent execution of that decision, despite what I would describe as a lot of criticism. How do you think this plays for President Biden in the long run?
0: You made two points that I think are important in the question. And one is the distinction between the decision and the execution. Um, and I know that's oftentimes a very easy way to split hairs on make unpopular things sound popular here in the DC beltway world. But I think in this case, without... Digging back into and relitigating what I know we have all talked about for so long now about the actual decision itself. I think in the long run, I think the majority of people are looking at this from a much more superficial level than we are when we sit here and we're steeped in it and we have been for years and careers and decades. Um, I think the, you know, American public, if you take them as sort of a big monolithic block is like, okay, it's time. It's been 20 years. It's time to be out of there. Um, So I think from that perspective in the long run, when we talk about whether or not it hurts someone, when we're looking at it politically, and I think it's the decision to leave is going to be fine in the long run. I think there is going to be a question mark around the execution piece. Um, I think given the, the headlines and the images and the lives lost that we've seen, it's going to remain to be seen how impactful that ends up being. Um, I personally don't think that from a broader political perspective, it's going to be very harmful in the long term because I think, you know, the average person has an attention span that is much shorter than um, a 20 year war. And I think we've seen that in a lot of different ways. I would say there's two caveats that I could see occurring that would make this have a more negative impact long term on the administration. And I think one of them has to do with whether or not the Taliban, again, provides safe space for the planning and launching of attacks against us and our allies. I think that would be very negatively reflected on um, this administration. So that remains to be seen. And I think the second is we're we're visual people. When we read stories and we see images of atrocities being committed by the Taliban and by other groups, then it hits home more. And I think if there were something significant that occurred that we saw, um, whether it was attacks, you know, Attacks on school children and on girls and on women and on the opposition and on you know former police and Afghan army uh, officials, all of that is something that we have already seen. But I think if something out of that category, if you will, of incidents that, that sounds so diminishing, but something from that rises to the level that it actually captures our conscience, then I think that it will have a potential uh, negative impact long term. And again, it's, it's so hard to tell at this point, but I think the, the execution on its surface um, is something that a lot of people are disagreeing with, regardless of where they stand on this administration and supporting it overall. Um, so I think in the long term, it's going to remain to be seen whether or not something from this sticks in our national conscience long enough to actually make an impact.
2: Let me push you a little bit in this sense because I I think I largely agree with you on the uh, particularly in the last two points you made. But let me let me ask you about another issue, which is this uh, this notion that America doesn't leave people behind. And and I'm thinking back to the Vietnam War. We had a we left a
0: ton of people behind. Yeah. Yeah,
2: we left a ton of people behind in Afghanistan. In Vietnam, there was this two decade phenomenon or longer of the POW MIA issue. There are flags flying inside the U.S. Capitol by law to commemorate Americans who were left behind in Vietnam, despite the fact that the evidence was pretty sketchy showing any live Americans were actually left behind in Vietnam. And to my knowledge, we haven't actually found any, but it was a, a very real thing. It was a bipartisan concern. Do you think that phenomenon, this this sense that as the United States, when we're engaged in uh, in hostile activities, we don't leave anyone behind, it seems like right now the Biden administration left some folks behind now, whether they were choosing to stay or not, or whether they could have been evacuated or not under any, even the best of circumstances. I'm going to leave that aside. But do you think this idea that we don't leave people behind is going to hurt the administration in, you know, in three years or or in kind of the historical record?
0: I think that there are some major differences between the effort to remember POWs and MIAs from Vietnam and what we see in Afghanistan now. We, you know, haven't lost tens of thousands of prisoners. You know, we don't have service members in, you know, huge numbers that are still there. Uh, We have a lot of allies. We have a lot of friends. And yes, we have some, you know, some citizens, some LPRs, some legal permanent residents. We have. People who should be here who are there. Um, and I think this is a problem, but I think that overall the American attitude towards leaving no one behind. Has not changed, but I think the attitude again, for better or worse, I'm not saying I agree with this, but I think the American attitude towards the reasons that some of those people may still be there and who they are have changed. It's not, you know, the guy who's your neighbor down the street who got drafted and, you know, captured by the Viet Cong and he's still there and we came home. It's someone you may not know who may not look like you may have gone over to visit family and you think that's a terrible reason and they're still there. So you don't feel as sympathetic towards them as you might have otherwise. Um, and I think that makes a big difference. So I think it's a great talking point of we don't leave anyone behind and you did, but when you dig down into it, okay, how are you treating the people that we've brought out? How are you accepting the refugees and you know, the, the interpreters and the folks who are coming here now, if you're not Worried about them and their families, if you're not willing to accept them and their families here, then your notion of leaving no one behind rings pretty hollow.
2: Jamil, both President Trump and President Biden favored a pullout of the U.S. military from Afghanistan. Recent polling by the Pew Charitable Trust show the American people largely agree with that position do you really think, and this is kind of going to the point, not the point about the execution of the withdrawal, but the question of whether or not to withdraw, do you really think a decision to have stayed in Afghanistan would have been politically sustainable given those circumstances?
3: Yeah, I think it would have. And I'll say, I'll say a few things about that. Number one, the American people want leadership. And what the American people haven't had for the last 13, going on 14 years, is real leadership. Barack Obama didn't lead this country when it came to national security matters. Donald Trump, didn't lead this country when it came to national security matters. And Joe Biden has not led this country when it comes to national security matters. Every single one of those thrust, the last three presidents, including the current one, has refused to lead and simply taken a poll about what they should do. Oh, the American people don't want to be here. Oh, it's really hard. Oh, it's going to cost me politically. And so they backed off. Things they knew weren't in the national interest. They did things they knew were contrary to the security of Americans at home and abroad because the polls didn't support them. The American people at the end of the day, though, when it comes to national security matters, don't want members of Congress or presidents who simply follow where they're at today, they want to be told why and explained uh, the reasons behind why we're there. And if they believe those reasons and are convinced of them, they will support them. The problem was you had American presidents who governed when it came to national security matters by poll, not by by leadership. And that's unfortunate. And that has made us less safe. It has made our allies less confident in us. And it's made our adversaries less afraid. Um, And we will see the consequences of that behavior um, and that type of leadership, which is not leadership, it's simply collapse. And I think Barack Obama admitted it right up front. We lead from behind. Got it. And Donald Trump followed him in that and and, and Joe Biden, who you know I think a lot of people hoped would not lead that way, has, has demonstrated that is exactly his leadership style, leading as far leading from as far, far as far behind as possible. As to this question, uh, though less about um, the American citizens and green card holders, the Americans uh, that we've left behind, I think it's really telling that Joe Biden, Team repeatedly, as Lauren has today, describe those people in a certain way. Oh, you know, they're dual country nationals. You know, uh, some of them want to stay there because they have families there. It's sort of that like latent. Oh, they're not really Americans. They're sort of they're Americans. But they don't look like us. They're not Americans from here. They're Americans from over there. So somehow they're less deserving of not being left behind. They don't really need to get them because they don't really want to come here. Now, it's saying the fact that, in fact, all of the Americans that Joe Biden and his actually even talked about, these 200, they're not all the Americans. There are a lot more Americans there. The 200 or so, 300 or so that they're talking about, those are the Americans who have affirmatively indicated repeatedly that they want to come out, that they want to come back to their country. And this country is theirs, regardless of what they look like or where they came from, or where their family is, expressed very clearly they want to be here and not in Afghanistan, and they have American citizenship or green cards, and we owe them bringing them out, because that is our duty as a nation, regardless of where they came from, regardless of where their families are, and regardless of whether they're dual country nationals. So I like the fact that we're finally admitting where it is, It's because they don't look like the average American that we're, we care less
0: about them. I feel like I'm getting want to set the then. record a little bit straight here. And uh, I think uh, Jamil connected some dots that were not exactly connectable. Um, I think that it's very important to acknowledge that none of us on this call or in the administration are saying these are lesser Americans. I think there are people in this country who are saying that absolutely. I think they're the same ones who say that about anybody who looks different and wants to come to this country to have a better life or to live here or to be a permanent part of this nation and they've been saying it for generations. They say it now. That's not what we are saying. I think we then do Why have do we then Why do we raise the question?
3: Why do you raise the point? Why do you raise, Why did the president say they're dual nationals? They have families there. He 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 was talking about the people who wanted to come out. He made that very clear. These are Americans right. who want to come to America and they're American citizens. And they said, but you know, some of them are foreign country nationals. Some of them have family there, right? Which explains why, why, why is that, Why gone. is that relevant? Why like, is that
0: relevant? Because you see headlines saying school group takes vacation to Afghanistan over the summer and gets caught in withdrawal chaos. You see these misleading headlines that are attempting to paint these people as unworthy of our intervention and unworthy of our help. And in reality, who they are, they're Americans who happen to have family over there. They've gone there for legitimate reasons. Whatever those may be, they're theirs. And we do. We have a responsibility to bring them out. And I don't think anyone is saying it otherwise. And to indicate that someone might be saying otherwise is incredibly disingenuous. The president literally was just misleading lessons about good leadership, which I think also have a few blind spots on our recent history.
3: The president literally said, to george stephanopoulos he would not leave until every american who wanted to leave left and then he left regardless of whether they went there on a school trip or whatever or to visit family he left them behind that's the reality except for the podium i left them behind, but you know some that don't really want to come out some have family you know what was he what was he saying by making clear they were dual country nationals what was he trying to say Hel- help me understand because i don't get it they're not as deserving as all the other americans who we would have gotten out
2: Jamil, let me reframe the issue a little bit. And I I think one of the things Lauren is saying, which I agree with, is that some of the rhetoric on the right about not taking folks from Afghanistan into this country, regardless of their circumstances, whether they are Afghan-Americans or candidates for SIVs or were allies of our effort is, is odious on its face. But I think what you're saying is, that the actual execution of the policy by the administration, when it promised it would get everyone out and then it didn't get everyone out and kind of made these subtle insinuations about the folks who remained is either just as bad or as bad, but of a different kind as the things we're hearing from folks on the right.
3: It's worse, less because on the right, right, they're like, whoa, you know, we don't want all these, all these immigrants coming in, right? All these refugees. The left says, even if you're an American, you're an American. We won't stick by you because you know what? You have family. You're a dual country national. So you're not as deserving of our protection, even if you're an American.
2: Jamil, both President Trump and President Biden campaigned on and supported a military withdrawal from Afghanistan. The Pew Charitable Trust, a very reputable polling operation. Uh, did a poll recently that showed a pretty healthy majority of Americans supported pulling out from Afghanistan. You've talked about, uh, and, you know, frankly, I agree with you, but you've talked about your position that pulling out from Afghanistan w- itself was a mistake. Aside from the poorer way it was executed, the decision itself to leave was the wrong one. But do you really think that given where the last two presidents, one Republican, one Democrat, and where the American people clearly are, that remaining in Afghanistan was a sustainable concept?
3: You know, i Less, do, and I think for a variety of reasons, right? I think the American people understand uh, that in order to protect our nation and to keep our nation safe from the threat of terrorism, that it might require us to have a sustained mission in foreign countries, including places like Afghanistan. I think that we've misdescribed this conflict in a lot of ways. We've talked about a 20-year-long war. But let's be candid. In the last three, four, five years, we've had very few casualties in this conflict. Right? To the In fact, the vast majority of casualties over the last five years have been training accidents, not actually live fire deaths from, from the adversary. And so this idea somehow that we've been in this long, sustained war for so long, we've, we've suffered massive casualties, right, is simply not an accurate depiction of, of reality on the ground in Afghanistan. Now, it's true, right? It's not exactly like Germany or Japan, where we have a lot of troops, and I've had troops there for 30, 40 years, right, or Korea, right? Um, where there's not uh, an active conflict. It's true that Afghanistan is different in that sense, right? But it's also the fact that we keep troops in foreign places for years and years and years to preserve security there and to preserve America's national security interests. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having, with, having, with, the, with making the argument that we should be in Afghanistan for the long run to protect our nation against terrorism the way we have largely for the past, past 20 years, um, and that, in fact, the American people could be uh, convinced to believe that if, if a case were made to them, And our leaders were to actually lead us, right? Unfortunately, for the past decade and a half, roughly, uh, a little bit short of that, uh, we haven't had American presidents who actually want to lead the nation when it comes to national security matters. Barack Obama essentially gave up for eight years when it came to national security matters. Donald Trump had the same position, retreat from the world, retreat within. And for those who thought Joe Biden might be a breath of fresh air and leave America forward leading the world and actually say what he said he was going to do, which is to bring America back in the world, right? They were wrong. We were all fooled, right? Joe Biden turns out to be just as much of a lead from behind uh, president as Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And that's unfortunate, right? Because the American people want and deserve better. The world needs and deserves better out of America. And unfortunately, for at least the next three and a half years, they won't get that. And that's an unfortunate situation.
0: I find it interesting that the leadership in implication is that we have not had good leadership since the George W. Bush administration which I know is a is a personal favorite period of life for you, Jamil. I think there's me, also a big just difference.
2: just for the record.
0: Also me. Well, and Lester as well, of course, um, not not usually quite willing to go to the mat as as forcefully to defend it. Um, I think that there's a big difference from good leadership and leading from the front when leading from the front. I think the American people do deserve better than someone who leads from the front and drives us right off the cliff.
3: Well, I mean, I would just note the cliff that we're on now and we're driving ourselves off of a cliff that we have been for the last 12, 13 years where our allies don't trust us, our enemies aren't afraid of us, and America retreats from the world because that's the world we lived in for the last 12 and a half years and the world we're likely to live in for through the next, through the 16 year period, right? Perhaps if we kept
0: our eye on the ball 15 or so years ago, maybe more, this wouldn't have happened.
2: Rob, let me pull you into this conversation, uh, kind of off script here, uh, Both of the candidates in 2020 favored a pullout from Afghanistan, the Republican and the Democrat. Uh, The American people really do seem to be in that place. For those of us who think U.S. global leadership is important and our presence in the world is a positive, not a negative, how do we make a better case to the American people? that a commitment like this is significant. What's the what's the thing that we're missing or we have missed over the last generation that's kind of changed the calculation here?
4: Uh, so let me correct the record here, Jamil. We've been in Europe and Japan for going on 80 years, not 30 or 40. 75th anniversary of NATO was just a couple of years ago. I think uh, the cliff, the proverbial cliff that both Lauren and Jamil are referring to starts with the peace dividend in the 90s, not attributable to either George H or George W. Bush or any president since then. Uh, I think uh, American presence was deliberately degraded since that period. Uh, and and understandably so, given that we were, you know, friends were breaking out all over the place and Russia was going to be our buddy and Fukuyama declared the end of history. I think, though, what, what we fail to understand from 20 years of commitment and engagement and watching friends and partners and, and relatives go overseas to various locations, not just Iraq and Afghanistan, but the Horn of Africa, the Philippines, a whole bunch of places that really aren't on the American radar and certainly don't make the front page as often as they do, is we're, that we as a general public are weary. And there hasn't been a demonstrated strategic effort to commit the american people to this conflict for a long period of time when george w bush landed the air the airplane on the aircraft carrier and declared mission accomplished i understood what he meant by that but the commitment to the, the 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 message to the american people was that we're all good now we're done. When in fact, the hard work was just beginning. Routing the the Iraqi army of 2003 was not a difficult task for the American army of 2003. Rebuilding Afghanistan and Iraq simultaneously because we broke them deliberately—that was a multi-decade commitment that we failed to negotiate toward the American public and demonstrate that through proper strategic messaging. So, as much as I can admire administrations passed from the 1990s on on both sides of the aisle. I, I think the failure comes from the strategic leadership of saying, America, this is our resolve, this is our commitment, and it's going to take multiple generations to do it. And that's a failure on both D's and ours.
2: So, Lauren, let me let me come back to you. I I think it's safe to say uh, all of us or or at least the the substantial majority of us on this call are concerned about a a willingness on the right side of American politics not to assume a global leadership position, not to be willing to commit uh, the United States to advancing our interests and values around the world. One of my concerns about the Afghanistan episode is I think we're increasingly seeing that on the left as well. A lot of us thought Joe Biden was going to be more of a mainstream president and manage our national security uh, brief in a smarter, more effective way than has proven to be the case so far. And perhaps we're extrapolating too much, but I don't think so. So I'm a little worried that The same phenomenon we saw on the right during the Trump administration, we're starting to see on the left in the Biden administration, not in exactly the same way, but in similar effect. And there's been a real deleterious effect on American government decisions about the way we're going to conduct ourselves with our friends and allies around the world and the way we're going to protect our interests. What are are your thoughts? Am I right or wrong here on a concern about a growing isolationism on the left?
0: I think that's a great question. I think it's a fascinating position to be in to see this play out now the way that it is and to be able to step back in real time and say, hey, is this a thing? Is it happening? Is it a problem? What are we going to do if so? Um, I think that there's a key distinction that I see between the rhetoric that I hear from the extreme left that, you know, garners the label isolationism and what we see on the extreme right that you know America first all of that I think that to me the key distinction that that exists here and I it, bear with me because I think this matters in the long term is that what we see coming from the right and I, I will say far right extreme right is that we don't think the rest of the world we should be in the rest of the world because we don't think the rest of the world matters we think, We, as Americans, by how we, the far right, define being American, are all that matters. We should be focusing on us and that's it. And anything that's different from us outside of here doesn't matter. I think what you see coming from the left is a different logic. I think it's not an isolationism that says no one else matters because we're better. It's that the priorities of what's going on here at home are so significant that we need to be focused on them rather than focused on everyone else's other problems. Like We acknowledge that's a problem. We acknowledge those people matter, but you know what? We got to work here. Um, And I think in the long run, that does not take us to a place of shutting out the rest of the world, I think that takes us to a place of picking and choosing more carefully and a little more wisely instead of just, you know, deploying folks left, right, and left, right, because, you know, we have a lot of hammers. Let's send them around the world and go hit stuff. And I think that's that's what I hope continues to play out in this administration. Uh, Jamil, and I, I can I, see Jameel's face when it's something fun <laughs> I mean, is coming here. Give me all kinds of good metaphors to play with there. Um, but but please, tie, Jamil, tie give it to give us the hammer. Give us the
2: good hammer.
3: I mean, this idea that somehow it's so different when Donald Trump says, you know, we don't need to worry about the rest of the world. We should focus on the United States and America first is is all that different from, oh, we have a lot of problems here. We should really focus here first and not worry about the rest of the world. That's the same thing. It's no different. One of them is
0: literally rooted in white supremacy and the other one is rooted into, hey, how about you don't like make everything here suck too?
3: No, you know what? You know what, Lauren? It's not, it's not it's about different. white supremacy. It's about, it's simply about covering it up in limousine liberalism, right? Where you're like, oh, you know, we don't have to worry about the world. We should focus here because, you know, Americans are so much more important, right? Yes, we care about our people here first, right? It, it, it's so it's, it's, I mean, Joe Biden said it himself from the podium of the White House when he said, you know what, the 100 or 200 Americans that are left behind, right? They matter less because, you know, you know, they're dual country nationals, right? They are they have family there. That's a limousine liberal code for. They don't look like these Americans here. So don't worry about them that much, right? They're not quite as American citizens as we want them to be. So if they want to stay there, if they, even if they want to come out, we're not going to worry about them. We'll leave them behind. That's fine. I get that Joe Biden wants to look good and doesn't want to be like the white supremacist, Donald Trump, or the people that support him. But the reality is code inside of that is exactly the same. You know what? Joe Biden is the one that left behind 15, 20, 30,000 Afghan SIVs who we made commitments to, we made promises to. But you know what? They're not that important because you know they can be left behind too. Yes, it's true. There's disgusting discussions about what, what, what some conservatives are saying about refugees coming, about the United States or Afghan allies coming to the United States. But it's just as disgusting to leave them behind and ignore them and pretend like they don't exist and to pivot back to infrastructure at home. They're the same thing. Just one's gussied up in limousine liberalism, and the other is just out there blatantly for what it is. Both are disgusting, and you ought to just admit that.
0: I, I think that you definitely win a gold star for using limousine liberal three times in the same answer. I, if think, the I think you've had, been – you count the four? Fifth, I only count it.
2: i I'm, I'm, calling, I'm, calling, I'm calling truce, and I'm going to Rob. Rob, rob born white response. supremacy, white supremacy versus limousine liberal – Equal, worse, net effect the same, what's your assessment?
0: Inaccurate terminology, whatever. Pick a choice, Rob. Future on both sides. Choose your fighter.
4: <laughs> I don't even know how to go with that, Lester. I mean, my gosh, uh, if the end effect is the same, what does it matter? You know, we're we're, 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 we're quibbling here about who's at fault. And, and to be honest, I, I mean, January 20th, we know who assumed the, the the reins of leadership and who's at fault at this point. I don't care why. So, Lester, if I can pivot to the question you were supposed to ask me, which was, you know, is the war on terror over? And what is, you know, what do I hope? But let me in brief. No, the war on terror is not over. But what I hope comes out of this, and, and and I hope this can go for Jamil and Lauren both or for anybody who wants to get into the foreign policy and national security establishment is focus on realism, not idealism. Deal with the facts as they are in front of you not with some you know grand utopia idea of how you want the world to be, whether you're from the right or from the left. I don't give a damn. The truth of the matter is in front of you, deal with it therein all right and we 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 keep getting caught up in this conversation about the the departure from Afghanistan and you know whether it could have been done, done better by one administration versus another, uh, whether one administration was tied by the previous ones uh, agreement. the fact of the matter is, You own the situation, Mr. President. Deal with it as it is before you. You make a promise to George Stephanopoulos and to all the people on the ground in Afghanistan. Follow through with that promise and get it done. And I don't care if they have to wait for three years in Doha before they can come to the United States. You made a commitment. Follow through with it and stick to your guns, regardless of what administration or what party you represent. So then to answer your question more fully, Lester, you know, is the war on terror over? Hell no. The war on terror is not over. Okay. And I listed in my previous comments a host of areas that people aren't even aware of that we are operating in. The war on terror is only going to get more forefront in our minds now that we have pulled ourselves out of an area where we were engaging with the enemy face to face. Now we have a over the horizon capability well, that's great. We can smite people from all over the world with the push of a button from the White House. What we can't do is engage with the individuals on the ground who understand which people we should be smiting. And that's what we lost. We lost signals intelligence and human intelligence face to face and direct contact in real time by pulling out of Afghanistan. Furthermore, we lost the ability to engage China and Russia in great power competition in a strategically necessary area that gave us phenomenal infrastructure and the ability to tap into resources untold in terms of rare earth elements and others that we could have been producing and developing on our own and we just walked away from that so i is the war on terror over no we're going to see it pop up in other places too uh you know what do i hope comes out of this debacle of a withdrawal from a strategic theater of interest because i hope that we as an american national security establishment will begin to realize that realism is the proper way to address things, not idealism.
2: All right, we're going to pivot to our second topic, which is directly related to the war on terror, uh, the current iteration of which began 20 years ago this week with the attacks on September 11th in 2001. Uh, This event had a huge impact on our lives, perhaps even changed the direction things were going for some of us. The emotional impact, at least for me, is still very real. Uh, I'm going to ask each of you to reflect on this 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, what it means for you, how you're processing this, what what comes to mind when you think about 9-11. Jamil, I'm going to go to you first.
3: Look, on that horrific day, and you know I've been watching a lot of these retrospectives that have, um, have been on TV um, over the last week and will continue on over the last, next few days, 3,000, nearly 3,000 Americans lost their lives in a matter of hours. Um, people falling out of buildings, jumping out of buildings because the heat was too much uh, to survive. Uh, A group of people on a plane flew a plane into the ground in order to save what was likely the capital from being attacked. Um, Two giant towers were leveled, um, and hundreds of firefighters uh, who raced up the buildings to rescue people were killed. Um, And it all happened uh, because a terrorist group, Al-Qaeda, led by Osama bin Laden, uh, was able to plan and plot those terrorist attacks from a safe haven in Afghanistan, at the time, under the control of the Taliban. And when that became clear, that's what had happened within hours and days of those attacks, and the president of the United States demanded that the Taliban hand over Osama bin Laden, that group refused. And as a result, we had no choice but to go to war in that country, to remove the Taliban from power, and to chase down Osama bin Laden. Now, yes, he escaped our grip. We eventually, the long arm of American justice, and justice was done, uh, came to Osama bin Laden in 2011, um, in Abbottabad, Pakistan, just uh, a few miles from the uh, from the Pakistan Military Academy, the west point of Pakistan. And uh, and there's still more justice to be done. Iman al-Zawahiri remains uh, at large. Um, the uh, the inheritors of Osama bin Laden's uh, legacy, uh, both the the group ISIS uh, remains uh, out there and active uh, with the, through its franchises. And Al Qaeda remains out there and active and continues a plot against Americans in America. All across the globe. And of course, we've handed now Afghanistan back to the Taliban, the very group that housed Osama bin Laden refused to hand them over. They are now in control. In a few days from now, on the 20th anniversary of those attacks, the same people who allowed that attack to take place, who housed it. And remember, the president made clear at the time that we will make no distinction between those that conducted the attack and those that harbored them. Those that harbored them are now back in power. In fact, the prior president and the current president have been at significant pains to note that they engage in active negotiations with that very terrorist group. So, you know, I do worry that, um, you know, two decades later, um, having chased al Qaeda around the globe and held them away from attacking, conducting a mass casualty attack on our soil for the last 20 years. Now, the the very people who hosted al Qaeda that day have returned to power in Afghanistan and likely will permit the return of those groups. You look at who's providing security to them, um, and you look at uh, who is around them and who their frenemies are. They include groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS. And um, I worry for our nation. We have been safe, relatively safe, for the past 20 years precisely because we have sent our brave men and women of the military around the globe not just in Afghanistan, but elsewhere, to fight the scourge of terrorism. And now having permitted a government that once hosted those very terrorists to return to power, um, I fear that we will have to return to that fight sooner rather than later, that we've increased the danger to our nation in this moment and our people, not just here at home, uh, but across the globe and our allies alike. And so I'm very conflicted about this moment that we find ourselves 20 years later. And I worry uh, about uh, our future um, and what it holds for our children and their safety and their security. And I think that um, we have to look back to the sacrifice that was made on that day by the thousands that gave their lives and the thousands that have given their lives since to defend this nation and protect us from that threat. And in this moment, as we look to what the future holds. I think we have to think very carefully about how we ensure the safety of this nation and its people and what it's going to take to do that and the kind of leadership we need and the kind of resolve we need uh, to keep our nation safe as we have for the past two decades. Lauren, 20th anniversary
0: of 9-11, over to you. Yeah, this is a, it's, it's a weighty moment. It's a weighty moment in time. And I, I, my thoughts go in so many different directions right now, both personally, how it impacted in, in my trajectory, my career, my entire professional life, but also how it, it changed the trajectory of, of our nation and of our country. And I prefer these moments in time, these waiting moments to be personal reflections. Um, I think there's plenty of time for political rhetoric, and I don't think this is it. Um, I think this is the time to remember not only the three and lives lost uh, that day, but I think to also remember the tens of thousands that have been lost in the year since, um, as a result, you know, so many things snowballed from that day. Um, and we, we talk about them frequently here. We've been talking about them this whole, this whole episode, you know, the, what happened at the, the withdrawal moment, um, of Afghanistan, but everything that's happened in the 20 years leading up to that. And the, the parts of this whole episode of American history, if you want to call it that, that, that always stand out to me are the personal stories. There are the things we hear. There are the where were you moments and questions that we will ask each other and that we will talk about for the rest of our lives and the generation that has come since that will remember it because we talk about where we were and what we did. I was a senior in college and in New Jersey, we could see smoke from campus. Um, and that that was an impactful moment. Um, I moved to D.C. a couple uh the following year, finishing that year um, and jumped right into national security and that, you know, Afghanistan. And as that bled into Iraq, um, you know, again, separate conversation for a separate day. But all of those things impacted my view of the world and our view as a country of who we are and how we fit into the world. Um, and I think that so many significant changes were made as a society, as a culture, um, as, as just a nation and as a world. Um, I think that day more than maybe any other had such a transformative impact um, around the world. And I think that to try and analyze and absorb and and think about what all of that means is almost too much of a task for one anniversary. I think that That is why I come back to the people, to the people, you know, who have served or who were lost or the stories of heroic acts of that day, um, the firefighters and everyone else in in New York and DC and Pennsylvania. um, I think this is a time to reflect on them and on their lives. And in the grand scheme of things, I don't matter in that conversation. My thoughts and opinions aren't relevant to that memory. Um, I think our our collective overall honoring of them is what matters now. And I wish we could see more of that.
4: Rob, uh, you know, personally, I was was a uh, young army officer at the time. I was stationed in South Korea, um, woken up middle of the night, um, early, early in the morning, more accurately, uh, with stories of buildings falling in New York City and no clue as to the context until probably six, eight hours later, um, as things began to develop. What it meant to me personally in that moment was not only a, you know, I, I was already committed to serving my nation. I was already pretty sure I was going to be in the in the military for some time um but it just redoubled that effort and there was no question in my mind I was going to stick in as long as as the nation would have me serve and and to, until we saw this thing to a conclusion, whatever that was going to be, turns out the conclusion's nowhere on the horizon and um, my time in uniform is, has passed, but it's given me a, a greater understanding of, of all that are involved in, in what we consider the security of our nation. And, and the bifurcation between homeland and national is is silly to me. Um, you know, they, they play just as much an important role on, on either side of that equation uh, to ensuring that we are, in fact, um, secure as a nation, uh, whether they be domestic or, or uh, internationally focused um, let me pause, you know, sort of pull on a thread Lauren put out there for a moment. Um, I've been blessed to be involved in a um, an executive leadership program through the Center for Homeland Defense and Security out of the Naval Postgraduate School. Uh, and it's a it's a four seminar um, event over a year. And we got to have our third seminar, our first in-person uh, a couple of weeks ago out in Monterey, California, and I met some incredible individuals who were in uh, New York Fire Department, New York Police Department, um, just across the river in Jersey uh, Fire Department on the date on, on 9-11-2001. And to hear their firsthand stories uh, of, you know, friends rushing into buildings and, uh, you know, it, it, we, we often too forget about Shanksville, Pennsylvania and the Pentagon. You know, the bastion of uh, of American military might was struck the same day, um, and there's some great stories of folks in Arlington and Alexandria and DC all responding. Um, the the outpouring of of just mission focus from those individuals who are committed to keeping you know our fellow citizens safe and rescuing them in times of danger is just I mean, it's it's moving and incredible. You know, none of those firefighters that rushed in to Either the Pentagon or or the World Trade Center um, knew that they were going to pass that day, but they knew that there were thousands of individuals who had a, you know, who were in dire straits, and they they still rushed in to save them, regardless. That's the best among us, right? I think we can all agree to that, regardless of political stripe. That anybody who's willing to run toward the issue instead of away from it, it, it they're the best among us. Uh, and here's to them, you know, all of those who. Who responded that day, um, whether whether serving uniform of the nation or or their county or state or city, whatever, uh, and then just the volunteers who poured themselves into the recovery effort in in the days after. Um, that that to me is just absolutely amazing and shows uh, that you know in the end we're all humans, uh, but that there are some who are willing to answer a call a little bit higher than than the rest of us from time to time. So, here's to them and. You know, may may we all take strength that there are those among us who will come to our rescue should we ever need it. So, Rob,
2: I'm going to echo uh, something you said. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't even just the first responders on that day. Since then, hundreds of people have succumbed to cancers and. Respiratory disease from the toxins at the various crime scenes. Uh, I'm told it's 1,400 civilians and 1200 first responders. The numbers are still going up. So it wasn't just on that one day, 20 years ago. it's been continuing since then, not to mention all of our folks who went into active duty or were on active duty responding to the threat in Afghanistan and elsewhere since 9/11 So this is this is a story uh, that continues to be told every single day. And, and Jamil, I take your point about, uh, you know, we, it is uh, notable that we find ourselves in some ways in the same position we're in on September 10th, uh, 2001. And I'll just add as a a personal connection, uh, Todd Beamer, who was on the flight that crashed in Shanksville, the plane that might've been going into the Capitol where I was uh, Todd Beamer, who said, let's roll. And, and he, and three others, went and took out the terrorists and prevented them from striking a building was, was on my high school basketball team with me uh, many, many years ago. A terrific guy. Uh, also, by the way, a much better basketball player than I was. Uh, and, and just all around, like cut for me in retrospect, kind of encapsulates the American spirit of, Hey, we've got an impossible challenge in front of us, but cheerful, positive thinking forward-looking Let's go do the best we can with this thing. And I think that's the spirit we're going to need going forward in Afghanistan and elsewhere. And with some of the challenges we were talking about, about American leadership in the globe, I think that's the thing that, that, uh, that's the spirit we need to be infused with. That's my personal take.
1: No tribute is sufficient to convey the infinite depth of our nation's gratitude on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. The National Security Institute would like to take this moment to express our thanks to our first responders, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines and those everyday heroes that had given the ultimate sacrifice on that day and in the years that followed. As President George W. Bush said on the year anniversary of September 11th, we resolved a year ago to honor every last person lost. We owe them remembrance and we owe them more. We owe them and their children and our own the most enduring monument we can build, a world of liberty and security made possible by the way America leads and by the way Americans lead our lives. Thank you. Fault Lines is produced by the National Security Institute. Find out more about the Institute and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you have any topics you'd like us to cover in the future, send us an email at nsi at gmu.edu or tweet us at masonnatsec. If you like what we're doing here, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so more people can find our show. We'd like to thank Claude Jennings for editing and Bridget Neff-Hickman for research assistance. Join us next week for another provocative conversation and further analysis of National Security's Fault Lines.